Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right, Jason, um, I'm doing something never done before this year. I'm doing dry January. Are you right? I am. What uh, what inspired that? <laughs> just uh, just to see if I could do it. And, and here we are 10, 11 <laughs> days in, and, and I've done it. So, um, you know what I've noticed, though? And, you know, I, I would have, you know, a glass of wine uh, at night, a, a beer with you, stuff like that. I, I don't think I, I have that much uh, to drink, but... Like within the first three or four days, I lost five pounds, and I'm thinking, "Wow, I love this." Really? Secondly, um, everything's looking great, except I can't sleep at night. Huh. So wait a minute, you don't think you actually have that much to drink? Right. But in three to four days, you lost five pounds, and now you can't sleep at what's night. What's my body maybe telling you me? Were having, yeah, what's my body telling maybe me? Maybe you were having more than you thought you were having. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> is what that tells. That's me. what I'm afraid of. That's that's really what I'm afraid of. So. Well, you're one of many, though, who has uh, jumped on this dry January thing. Uh, I, I, I'm i dry today uh, because I am at work and in the office today. And That's never stopped a, you before, a, though, man. You are correct about that. So maybe I'm doing dry January, too, just uh, subconsciously. Um, but, yeah, I'm one of these people coming into the office uh, still uh, all of these uh, months in. And uh, a lot of folks have been trying to do that. And, you know, we're talking about that today because we just keep on hearing about all of these different services that are being affected uh, by this Omicron variant, especially because it's just spreading like wildfire uh, and it's taking out staffs at a lot of places. Yeah. And it has probably impacted you in some way by now. Yeah, and I tweeted um, the other day about Dallas County. I think it was uh, Thursday or Friday about Dallas County having its highest uh, daily COVID positive cases in the history of the pandemic. I, I want to say it's like five or 6,000, something like that. It, it topped the previous number. Um, and, you know, the, those used to get a lot of retweets, but really not much now. But there was one person, uh, a former mayor in North Texas, and the, the, the mayor just put on there simply, relax, like, take it easy, Whiteley, take it easy on this. I, I, I don't respond to things like that. But, right. you know, in, in one sense, yeah, people are not going to the hospitals as much, which is fantastic for everybody. But they're still sick, and employers are saying, don't come in if you're sick. We don't want to shut down the entire operation. So I get up this morning. I'm, I'm probably like everybody. I don't know. And I look at my, my phone, a bunch of stuff on there, and a, an alert, a push alert from WFAA shows up, and it says that Plano ISD in North Texas and Garland ISD in North Texas say they don't have enough bus drivers. Might want to drive your kids to school if you want your kids to show mm. up in class today, which is phenomenal to me. And it goes along with everything I'm hearing, too. You know, Dallas had some issues with its, uh, I think, firefighters in the past few weeks. There are all types mm -hmm. of shortages everywhere. 
Yeah, we saw this uh, in Austin as well. Uh, some, some headlines coming out of there of the same sort of thing. And I think that's where it starts to get most of us, Jason. You know, I mean, my, my trash took, you know, a day or so longer than usual to be picked up. I just left the bin out there a little bit longer. Uh, that's not a big deal. You know, if you're traveling, yeah, that TSA line might be a little bit longer. Maybe your flight gets delayed or canceled. But when it really starts to matter is when you start talking about, you know, police and fire and EMS, you know, maybe you need an ambulance. Uh, and then you really start thinking about this and you're, you're hoping that they've got enough staff. And in many cases across the country right now and here across this state, uh, they don't have enough staff and they're having to really pull some uh, maneuvers uh, to keep staffing going. And in some cases, they're having to park some of these emergency vehicles as well. And so the first person uh, we want to get on the line here with us is Haley Stewart. So she is the North Texas operations manager at Acadian, which is an ambulance service. It's a contract service. Uh, Haley, thanks for being with us today. Uh, we know that you all have really been dealing with some challenges like so many of these services uh, across Texas. COVID has presented a really large amount of challenges as it's progressed and it's kind of gone through waves. Um, we're seeing a national shortage in EMTs and paramedics right now. It's not just Acadian. You're seeing it just across the country, across our service areas. But then you add in on top of that, um, this variant that we're currently dealing with in North Texas really just seems to be taking out staff members um, left and right. During the height of the pandemic in the first and second wave, we really did a good job of, you know, enforcing policy and our employees did a really good job of PPE and they're still doing that. Um, but then the average amount of employees out on any given day was two to three with COVID positive. Um, right now we're seeing five to 10 out a day uh, COVID positive. And it's not from them laxing on the mask, masks. It's just it, this variant is so contagious. It is crippling the staffing situation. So I absolutely, when it's busy and when we have people calling in, I jump on to help the crews. Um, that's what we do. We're part of the team. Uh, so we empty out the office and we'll be out there running calls with them. So five to 10 out a, a day is, is a lot of people. Are you guys having to park any ambulances because you can't physically staff them? Yes. Um, so we try to avoid that as much as humanly possible because obviously customer service and um, our contracted facilities take top priority. But um, in the worst of it, there was a time period where we were having to down like four to six a day. Right now, because we've hired a few more people, we've been able to get to where it's like one to two a day. But yes, we absolutely have had to make sure that we consolidate and do what we can. And we'll, we'll do creative things like elongate shifts and stuff like that. But then you run into employee fatigue and we're all about safety. So we have a cap on how much they can work. We have mandatory downtime, stuff like that. Well, Haley, let me ask you that. The employee fatigue, from what I was reading, is one of the things that's causing so many people to walk away from you know, the job of being a paramedic across the country. That's kind of a fine line to walk because you need to keep these ambulances running, but you don't want to drive people away from the job on the other hand, right? We have never been a company that has ever mandated overtime. We don't believe in it. Mm. Um, every other private service that I am aware of does mandate overtime. Um, we do it. If you want to do it, that's great, but we don't force it. 
Um, but yeah, no, you absolutely have to toe that line. And that's why we have policy in place saying, you know, you can't work more than 24 hours if you're on a 12 hour truck or more than 36 hours on a 24 hour truck um, because the call volume differentiates from a 12 to 24 hour shift. And then you also, if you're going to do shifts like that, you have to have an approval um, at a higher level to make sure that, you know, everyone's on the same page that we're enforcing those mandatory breaks and stuff like that. Just because we've seen so many uh, people, Haley, walking off the job uh, in in this profession and in other ones uh, across the country, how much of your day is spent dealing with employee morale and, and trying to put out that 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 nasty fire of you know COVID fatigue among among the workers there? Um, that is what we eat, breathe, and sleep right now: is employee morale, employee retention, making sure they feel supported. Um, we are lucky enough at Acadian that we have an internal EAP so we can, I I try to stay away from mandating it because, you know, counseling and talking to people really only works if you want it to work, but, um, that is an option as well as just, you know, for people who aren't lucky enough to have one of those, it's an employee assistance program. Yes. Yes. Mm. And then we also make sure at any given time there's available resources for, local therapists and stuff like that as well that accept our insurance. Um, but it's a lot of meetings daily. It's a lot of phone calls. It's texts. It's making sure that you're staying positive, that you're trying to, you know, do little things, whether like right now we're buying food for the crews um, pretty regularly, making sure there's donuts at the station, making sure we're cooking for them when we can. If we're not giving them hot meals, giving them a gift card so that they can, you know, catch Whataburger on the way to a call, something like that. But really just making sure that they know we know they're tired. We appreciate everything they're doing and we're here to walk them through anything they need or any help they need. And you mentioned, you know, worst case scenario, Haley, you guys might have to park trucks if you just don't have the staff to do it. But does that mean the patients are backing up at some of your contracted hospitals? It can. Yeah. So um, we have our major contracts up here and we obviously have to make sure that they take top priority. A lot of times the way the private ambulance service works is multiple hospitals will have like multiple contracts. Right. But we're not necessarily their primary contract. So it ends up pushing them back a little bit. But on top of just even outside of staffing, there's such an extended time at hospitals right now in the waiting room. So when we're dropping off a patient at the ER, let's say for an emergency patient, that ambulance is sometimes stuck on the wall with their stretcher for an hour and a half to two hours um, waiting for an ER bed to be available. And then you factor in um, if it's a COVID transport or a suspected COVID transport, we're having to down that truck for an additional 20 to 30 minutes for decon after the call to make sure that the ambulance is ready for the next one. So there's a lot of factors that play into it on top of just downing the trucks. It, it, it takes, you know, pre-COVID, the average call in North Texas took like an hour and 30 minutes, hour and 45 minutes. Now we're looking at two to two and a half hours because of those times. Wow. And and you mentioned just how much more time it takes if it is a COVID patient or a suspected COVID patient in the back of that ambulance. Um, are you seeing an extraordinary number of those these days? Because I think that really speaks to this. Uh, are, are you seeing a huge uptick in the number of COVID calls? Yes. Yes. Not only for, um, 
like emergency or um, going to the ER transports, but also just discharges back to nursing homes, discharges um, home. But, you know, certain nursing homes don't take COVID patients and some do. And um, there's a lot of little nuances that people don't think about with that kind of stuff. But um, yes, absolutely. You mentioned the, the shortage of, of EMTs. Is, is that just a two-part question here for you? Is that recent since uh, COVID began back in 2020, or has that been going on for a while? And I bring that up, Haley, because you guys are even offering an accelerated program for people to uh, to, to come and um, uh, is it a certification? Forgive me for not knowing this, but to, to, to you know become an EMT. The deadline for that's the 24th of January, and you're even paying these students while that's going on. Will you talk a little bit about that and and then how long the shortage has been going on? Sure. So there was a national shortage prior to the pandemic. We did a good job in North Texas specifically kind of holding our own before that. What we saw when the pandemic hit was similar to uh, back in the 80s when HIV and AIDS kind of came to light at first and a lot of people left healthcare. There was just a lot of fear of the unknown. There's a lot of, you know, all they saw when they would turn on the news or look at social media was the different areas of our country and around the world that were struggling with high death toll rates and, you know, just a lot of fear behind that, right? So we saw a lot of people kind of exit healthcare in general, but we also saw was there were a lot of like hospitals, but also just like special projects, right? That had that COVID funding so they could go, test patients for COVID in a clinic and make upwards of $25 an hour just to test people all day. They weren't being an EMT, but they were getting paid high dollar amounts to do those things. Um, We are offering an accelerated EMT class. So we actually offered something similar back in October and had a really great success with that. So um, there's a step below EMT called ECA, which is basically um, you're going to be driving around the EMT. The EMT runs the calls, but you are trained in CPR, uh, advanced first aid, that kind of thing. Um, With that class, we actually were able to recruit 17 into it and all 17 passed. It was a two week program. So we paid them while they were in class. We paid for their national certification and their state to get them on the road. And that has helped substantially. So now we're doing it again, but we're doing the EMT level just because an EMT is a little more versatile in what you can use them for. Um, So that class starts on January 24th. It's a seven week Monday through Friday, eight to six. They come to our station um, and we have a partnership with the School of EMS up here. Uh, So they come in, they teach the students. It's seven weeks, you know, every day. And then after that, they do their clinicals. They'll take their national registry and then they'll be good to go released on the street. So so seven weeks. How does that compare to, to, to normal? So it's the same amount of class time. It's just super condensed, right? Mm. So normally in EMT class, what we see is it's about three months long and you Mm. go on like Tuesdays and Thursdays from like six to 10 is a typical schedule that we see. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's the same amount of hours, just super condensed to get it all done at once. Mm. Uh, Let me ask you one other question that that we're we're trying to get a gauge on. Um, 
you guys are around a lot of hospitals, a lot of medical professionals all the time, including yourselves too. What are y'all hearing as far as when this might peak? I think we're kind of in the peak right now from what I hear. Uh, as far as this variant goes, it, it doesn't seem to last very long. Um, and it part of part of it's the vaccine, part of it's the variant, but the, the symptoms aren't as extreme. So like what we're seeing with the new CDC guidance of uh, the five days, right? right? So all of our employees are vaccinated. Um, we're in compliance with that stuff. But they really are only having symptoms for two or three days, which does help a lot. Um, but we've already seen, I would say this week, it, it's kind of at its peak. It seems to have stabilized though. Um, and so I'm hoping within the next two to three weeks, we'll see it come down again. We kind of expected a big uptick with this, with the holidays though. Haley, I have one more for you too. Uh, I, I would imagine that you probably speak to counterparts in other you know, parts of the state and the country, maybe for that matter. Your service is not the only one, obviously, dealing with staffing issues right now and finding enough EMTs to man these ambulances and in some cases having to park these ambulances. Um, what are you hearing and what are you seeing regarding response times? You know, because I, th- I think to most of us, that's what we you know really think about if we call for an ambulance. You know, is that response time being affected right now because of all this? Sure. So it's going to um it, it really depends. It, the easy answer is yes, it is affected by this. Um, emergencies are always going to take priority over like what we would call like a scheduled call, right? So a discharge from a hospital, that kind of thing. Um, I know the numbers I saw region wide, not Acadian specific, was um, for hospitals to get a patient out of the ER that's like at the BLS level, right? So an EMT level call um, is like three to four hours right now. Um, And then for an ALS, it's typically, which is gonna be like cardiac monitoring, there's drugs on board, something like that. Um, That's a little more advanced practice. That's taking one to two hours, which those are very high numbers. Um, To put it in perspective, a lot of our um, ALS contracts, for example, um, our response time is supposed to be like 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the facility. Um, As far as 911 calls, um, we do have 911 in Seagoville, Texas. Uh, It really hasn't affected that too much, but we also have trucks dedicated to that system. So it's a little different. Woo, Haley, uh, thanks so much for the time. I I hope really we are uh, approaching this peak, if not already at it, but we we appreciate you taking some time because I know you might have to to hop on an ambulance yourself and, and get out there and help the crews. Absolutely. So it's Haley Stewart there, the North Texas operations manager for Acadian. And, uh, you know, Jason, she's not just sitting in the office, uh, you know, overseeing that operation. She's actually been out there on the rig with the crews in in recent weeks because every, you know, it's every hand on deck. You know, it's everybody's got to get in there and and, and switch hats. Yeah. And, you know, for the longest time, I I didn't I know what private ambulances do, but I, I didn't really fully appreciate it until when I was living in Houston, what, 15 years ago. And uh, had to go to a local hospital in the suburb because I had a, uh, you know, this abdominal pain turned out to be gallbladder. And the hospital mm-hmm. said, we can't do surgery here, but we got to throw you in an ambulance and take you up uh, Highway 59, the Southwest Freeway to mm-hmm. a big hospital. And, you know, they don't call out 
hmm. city ambulances for those transfers. So they threw me in the mm-hmm. back of a private ambulance and those folks took great care of me and took me up the road. So that's that's the importance of these private ambulances. It is a cog in the wheel that is necessary. Um, and, yeah. and that's just, you know, one thing we've heard about. If you've been traveling lately, you, you've probably uh, you've seen issues with Southwest Airlines, with American Airlines. They're having the same issues of actually having people who can physically work. So let's zoom out for a moment here and, and uh, you know, get a, a bigger picture idea of what's happening. We have on the phone with us here, uh, Brandon Bennett. He is technically the uh, code compliance director at the city of Fort Worth, but uh, he was telling us right before we got him on here that he does a number of different things. Like all of us, he wears a lot of hats. In fact, I believe he said that uh, he's kind of the junk drawer department. He does a little bit of everything there in Fort Worth. And right now, one of the, the many things that you do is that you're the COVID-19 incident commander. Uh, talk a little bit about what we're seeing these days in Fort Worth. And, and we might as well be, you know, fill that blank in with any major city here in Texas. What are you all going through as far as COVID goes right now? Uh, I know you all have really been ramping up the testing sites. Oh, absolutely. And, and of course, nationally, uh, testing is probably in the highest demand that we've seen uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. And that's because this, this current uh, variant is so contagious that we are seeing a larger segment of the population uh, that is ill. Uh, the warmer weather and the uh, outdoor activities in the winter that we don't normally see has also increased uh, uh, allergy type symptoms. Uh, so people are not sure if they're they're sick or it's allergies uh, and they're doing exactly what we've asked them to do. Uh, and that's to get tested to confirm. And, and I'll tell you this, this last week, I spent some time in one of the testing sites and about half the people that came back uh, positive, maybe a little less than half uh, came back positive. They didn't have uh, really bad symptoms. And in fact, many of them said, it's just allergies, but I wanted to double check uh, for the holidays. And so wow. it's a good thing that they did. Uh, they were able to stay away from parents and grandparents and others that were uh, susceptible uh, to, to the virus. So people's symptoms aren't that bad here, Brandon, but employers still don't want folks showing up at work. And the city, yeah. I'm sure, is one of those. So tell us how that's impacting things from code compliance to EMS. To, to City Hall. I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that early on, uh, you know, we got two years ago, uh, we would tell employees, hey, if you're not feeling well, don't come to work. Uh, and there was a much higher compliance rate. And what happens is you get fa- pandemic fatigue that uh, we can't continue to operate as an organization, nor can private industry. Uh, if every time somebody gets a runny nose, they, they stay at home. It, it just uh, won't work. And in fact, we see that globally right now with the supply chain issues, uh, that a lot of that is is tied to uh, early decisions in the pandemic where uh, factories shut down and uh, raw product was not uh, produced uh, for manufacturing to take use of, uh, so forth and so on. And so uh, we continue to see folks uh, that come to the workplace uh, sick, maybe a little less uh, over the last week or so uh, with uh, more people getting sick. It, it's raised the uh, attention uh, and alertness of folks. 
but nonetheless, uh, people are still coming to work. And one of the things that we've done for police and fire and uh, here at the Joint Emergency Operations Center is uh, every day when folks arrive for work, we offer them a quick test. Uh, a lot of people know that as the Bionex Now test. Uh, right. there's, there's different uh, types of those uh, available because uh, we want to make sure that uh, we aren't bringing staff into the workplace that are ill. They're going to make a greater segment of the workplace ill because we're already seeing uh, a number of uh, sick uh, folks that aren't able to come to work. Well, how, it, Brennan, how many are out right now, just, just roughly, at, at, you know, in, across the city or in, in your department specifically at Code Compliance? And how's that impacting the services you provide? So the impact to, to the public for critical services is is negligible at this point that we're still meeting all of our uh, police and fire and EMS response times. What happens is uh, we have plans for this. Uh, so you can see behind me right now, uh, the Joint Emergency Operations Center is usually full of people along with other public service uh, locations. Uh, because of the spread of this particular variant, what we've done is we've got more people working from home, uh, doing less travel where they're less likely to get sick. Um, and then the other is uh, for those that do get sick, we were very quick to adopt the new guidelines from the CDC. And I think we're going to see a trend um, in those recommendations where we used to have a strict isolation policy of 10 days. Now it's five days, test negative, wear a mask for five days and back to work. Now, you know, future variants may change that guidance and, and everybody should be ready for it. Uh, but right now we should really uh, consider that uh, because the, the most transmissibility or the highest risk for transmissibility occurs in, the, in that first uh, couple of days before people are symptomatic into about three or four days afterwards. Yeah, and if you sit people out for for five days and then bring them back to work, you don't have as many problems with those staffing issues that you were having, you know, when you're isolating people for ten days. Correct, correct. And what you what we do is that not every position is face-to-face public. And so for those people that do come back and they wear a mask, uh, we can put them into support roles. And then the people that were in support roles, we can then reallocate them uh, onto a fire engine or into a police car or uh, helping with dispatch or taking 911 calls. So you're not the only one wearing a lot of hats these days. Are you seeing that with, you know, employees there in, in, in city government where people are doing jobs that they didn't necessarily always do? Absolutely. You know, and this and, and it's it's just across the board, everything right now during the ice storm. Remember, we, we were short on resources. but We also had covid and a lot of folks that were sick. So we had parks employees uh, that we reallocated because people weren't going to the parks uh, to work with our water department to fix the water main. So we're doing uh, the same thing right now, particularly at our vaccination and our testing sites, uh, we can train folks fairly quickly, uh, get them up to speed, and then start rotating folks in. We see a fatigue like the hospitals, but I don't want to to, to overstate uh, that. Uh, certainly, the hospitals are facing it much greater than we are, uh, and and that's one of the benefits of of having a joint emergency operations center is you know we can kind of have a predictability uh, and then allocate resources or prepare the allocation of resources based on what we're seeing. So when people start calling for an ambulance because they're feeling sick. Right. That's a that, that that's an early warning that people are going to start overloading the emergency rooms. And then, of course, the more people that get tested, the more positive people that, that, that there's going to be. Uh, and then that other impact on resources, uh, along with right now, particularly with the children, 
is uh, respiratory uh, illness. We've seen an uptick uh, in the uh, demand for hospital beds. Uh, there are still beds available, uh, ICU uh, and otherwise, uh, but it's something we want to continue to watch and forecast and then make allocation changes so that everybody gets taken care of. So, Brandon, we woke up this morning to some alerts from WFAA saying, uh, hey, parents, if you're in Garland ISD or in Plano ISD in North Texas, might want to take your kids to school because we don't have enough school bus drivers in some of these places. Uh, are, are you guys seeing any issues at all, like in animal control or in garbage pickup, like we've heard in other cities where there just aren't enough folks to physically go out and do the jobs right now? Yeah, garbage pickup is 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 a challenging one, both with the holidays because there was more waste, people were putting it out. So what we're having to do is work uh, additional hours. We do things in Fort Worth by contract uh, and our contractors right now where they used to finish up at five to six o'clock in the evening. Uh, we have trucks that are out till nine in the evening. And so it's one of the ways in, in which we can still get it picked up, uh, but it's not sustainable, you know, that, that you can't um, have a limited number of drivers, uh, whether it be for school buses, uh, garbage trucks, delivery trucks, uh, things like that. Uh, and again, that's one of the reasons why we have the guidance from the CDC. Uh, so with the, say, the, the, the drivers for waste management, um, they isolate for five days and then they can get back in the truck. They have very little public contact, uh, get them back to work and, and give the other drivers some relief. That's good to know, though. So if you get home and your garbage hasn't been picked up yet, don't roll that bin back in just yet. They didn't miss you. Uh, you might leave it out there a little while longer. It sounds like, Brandon, you are putting out all of these different fires that keep popping up, but you never really know where the next one's going to pop up. It And that's part of the predictability. Uh, we don't, uh, but we're ready. And so um, I'm trying to think of one here in the last couple of weeks that, that's been very interesting. Oh, so one of the ones we got right now is uh, there are plenty of testing resources, but there are some that are more popular than others. And so we have a couple of locations here in the city where uh, folks are backing up uh, major arterials waiting to go to get tested when a block or two down the road, there's another testing facility uh, that has capacity and, and would not create that traffic jam. So uh, we have staff out this morning that are that are normally down here uh, that are out working on traffic management plans, something that they don't normally do um, so that we can route traffic uh, better to the testing sites and then to other testing sites in the area. And then, of course, putting out uh, public information uh, through the media and elsewhere to let folks know if you go to one that's backed up, pick another one. Uh, there's plenty of them out there. And Brendan, it does sound like all hands on deck there in Fort Worth and, and everywhere for that matter right now, especially, uh, you know, private or uh, municipal or, or anywhere else. You mentioned the vaccine and testing sites earlier. Who is manning those? <laughs> so, um, it's a collaboration, right? Which is really cool. That That's the benefit of something that I get to see every day is um, we've got Tarrant County um, who does the lab work for some of the quick tests that we need, the PCR quick tests. Um, they work with a private uh, contractor as, as we do also. Uh, we hire temporary employees uh, to uh, work at our testing facilities. One of the things that we did early on is we moved from the nasal test to saliva tests. So uh, at our test Testing sites, you don't have to have a nurse or a paramedic. Uh, folks uh, deposit their saliva in a little tube. 
tube. And then we mail that every night overnight to our lab uh, on the East Coast and get the results back in about 24 hours. The other cool thing about the, the saliva tests is we can just distribute these across uh, all city departments. We can hand them out to nursing homes, to homeless shelters, uh, because it doesn't require a medical tech to actually do the test. Uh, and, and it's pretty straightforward how you do it. Uh, we can do high volumes and get fast results. Wow, that's that's very impressive. So no no nose tickling or any of that. <laughs> Were you guys ahead of the curve on being able to uh, get that supply there? That sounds kind of envious. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and I think places. we've been at it for about nine to 12 months now. We were, I think, the second uh, large city in America to actually adopt uh, the saliva. Uh, and, and we did it because we, we were predicting uh, that we would have this draw on resources. Uh, it wasn't sustainable. You can't use all of your firefighters, and all your police officers and all your public health people to do their current job and do this extra pandemic job uh, over time. So we found ways to where the public uh, can help us uh, do their own deaths. Everything I'm reading, Brandon, says this uh, Omicron really peaks in the U.S. and maybe in Texas in the next uh, four to six weeks. I don't know if you have any updated numbers from that. But does this get worse before it gets better for you all? Yeah. You know, when we look and we've been pretty good about our predictions, uh, we have not been, you know, like the world's falling apart or everything's going to be okay. I think we've been pretty good at, at being that middle of the road. And what we're seeing uh, working with uh, UT Southwestern and uh, their uh, researchers and uh, UNT Health Sciences and others, uh, we're making a prediction uh, just like we're seeing nationally, uh, maybe more on the four-week side than the four- to six-week side. Uh, we do anticipate, uh, just like we would see with the seasonal flu, that when children go back to school, uh, and they're in close proximity uh, indoors that we will see an uptick uh, in the spread, both in the, the school age children and then, of course, uh, into the adult population. Uh, is there something different about Tarrant County? Uh, I, I was just looking at the, the New York Times tracker tool uh, for vaccinations. And out of all the major counties in Texas, Tarrant had the lowest vaccination rate. What is it? What, what's going on there? So what you have when you look at vaccination rate, you're, you're looking at a number of the total population and the, the number of that population that's vaccinated. So um, while there are other counties in Texas that are less vaccinated, um, they also have less people. And so what you have is the more um, urban the, the environment, the higher the vaccination rate you're going to have. And so where you have places like Dallas County that is surrounded by um, all of these cities and somewhat uh, landlocked, in Tarrant County, we have a lot more rural area and a lot more rural counties around us. And, and that continues to be a challenge. Uh, your city dweller versus your urban folks uh, and the different uh, ideologies that, that of course, uh, come to play that we see every day on social media uh, and in the news. So I, I, I wouldn't, I, you know, from, from our standpoint, um, uh, we don't see it as that we're failing at something. We see it as it's more of a challenge. Uh, and, and I think that, that, the CDC recommendation for five days uh, and then five days in a mask uh, and some of the other things that will probably come from this, uh, that may spark some conversations and some and some people coming more towards the middle. Instead of being totally against vaccinations or totally for vaccinations, that, that hopefully these conversations will bring us to the middle to say, you know, it's okay that I might disagree with you on these issues, 
but I'm still going to get a vaccination because I realize that's the best for me or my family. Uh, on the other side, right, that a better understanding that some folks for medical reasons, religious reasons, uh, or just personal reasons uh, are going to say, I'm not going to get vaccinated. And, and that doesn't make them horrible people, right? Uh, what, it, what we just ask from public health is that don't make your decision on your own research because your own research is generally uh, speaking with friends and Googling. Uh, make, make a decision talk, talking to your own healthcare provider um, and, and, and make sure that you are doing what's right for you and your family. Brandon, before we let you go, you mentioned earlier that, that you're kind of sitting in the incident command center. It's kind of like a, it is a command center, a lot of, you know, lights, a lot of computer monitors behind you there trying to describe this for our listeners. You're, you're dressed up in a suit. Wheeler and I uh, rarely wear suits for podcasts. You have a mustache that would make most people at the fire department jealous. Um, but it's give my us co- it's my COVID mustache. So as soon as this is over, I get to shave this darn thing. It, 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 it might be hanging way down by then. But but give us an idea. I mean, it sounds like you have things re- really kind of you know uh, respectfully. You have them kind of taped together, making sure that the city continues to run there. Um, what what's your schedule for the rest of the day? My, my last question for you: what, What's your schedule for the rest of the day, and and how long are are your days right now? Yeah. So um, our days are are long, uh, but uh, they're very rewarding. And so throughout the day, um, we will talk with uh, university uh, researchers. Uh, we'll get updates from them. Uh, the epidemiologists uh, will look at the prediction models. Uh, not today, but uh, uh, over the next couple of days, uh, we will have uh, telephone calls with uh hospital CEOs will have uh, conversations with emergency managers. Every hospital and hospital system has an emergency manager who is watching their staffing and their intake. And uh, one of the problems that we're we're looking at right now is we still have too many people showing up at EDARs to get tested. So we're working with, uh, with those folks and, and our public works department, see if we can put some traffic signs up or some readable, those big uh, ones that say road closed. Maybe we can get some of those up uh, that say, you know, go to these places for testing. Don't go to the ER. Um, so um, I, I can tell you one of the unique things is, and, and I would invite uh, any of you or all of you or uh, anybody else um, to spend some time uh, looking at, at what we look at. And what you find is that there's a lot of people working behind the scenes from our EMS, police, fire, hospitals, nursing homes, homeless shelters, volunteers, uh, United Way, uh, the list goes on and on uh, that we're able to pull this off every day because of so many people working together. Well, it sounds like you all really have your thumb on the situation there uh, in Tarrant County and in Fort Worth. Uh, and, and I don't know where you found the time to squeeze us in, but but th- thank you for taking the time. To give us a good idea of what's going on behind the scenes there. Uh, Brandon Bennett, the Code Compliance Director and Chief Health Officer in the city of Fort Worth, along with uh, so many other things that you're uh, considered the leader of the drunk junk drawer department, as you say. That's right. <laughs> uh, pretty much everything falls into your purview. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, thank you for taking the time with us. Yep, thank you. So you know what? I I, I asked both of them the same question um, about the peak on this, Wheeler, because I'm, you know, who doesn't want it to be over with? Um, I I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, Brandon just told us there a moment ago that he thinks that, you know, we're four to six weeks away. Four weeks away, I believe is what he said. Uh, New York Times reporting four to six weeks. And uh, Haley actually 
kind of living this with her crews around hospital folks all the time saying they think it, you know, we might be in it now. It might last for four weeks, but we might be in it right now. Oh, and, and, you know, maybe that's optimistic. We don't know. I, I want to be on Team Haley there and just hope that we're in the the worst of it now and that it's all downhill from here. Uh, we'll see how that goes, uh, though, as the weeks unfold here. Uh, but you do wonder in, in some of these cases how much more some of these different institutions can take. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're they're dealing with, you know, burnout and fatigue and and, you know, they've been through wave after wave after wave of this. And it just it's not slowing down. It's sped up for them here in this case, uh, those people really could use a break. Yeah, they could. And, you know, as as we let you guys go in this podcast, uh, you know, I just ask you to be patient. I, I, I'm the well, I'm the second one. Wheeler's the first one to lose his patience. I, I'm <laughs> I the second one. to lose. I, I thought that I had like the world record for like patience losing. Wheeler easily tops me. I'd never I, I stand well, in that awe. was before I stand in awe. No, 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 no. That was before dry January, though. You might lose it a lot faster now. <laughs> maybe so. But at, at the end of the- Not as mellow. Yeah, at, at, right. Maybe, maybe the beer is what mellows me out of town. Have, have some patience. If you're flying somewhere, if, if you're you're at a place with a long line, I know it's tough. I mean- If your trash hasn't been picked yeah. up right on time, be patient. It's 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 the world we're in right now. Yeah. If you're, you know, if, if Amazon can't get that, you know, certain something- to you uh, overnight like they used to be able to it's it's all the same it it, it is the same be patient stay healthy and and we hope that you can join us again next week